This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle. Sometime every Saturday or two when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right, and we try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe a subject that hasn't found its way into the middle of the conversation yet, and we want to bring it there. Got Ava on the board, Christian supervi- Christian's on the phones, Kevin supervising. We're going to be here for two hours today, a lot of news to cover. I'm here once a week, and in the middle, there's a podcast called The Middle Unplugged. This this week, we review a little bit of the Trump interview that he did on Meet the Press and try to figure out how we do these interviews a little better. And at 4 o'clock, Curtis Lee was going to come in. I know that we've been hearing a little bit. Steve Moore did a little bit about Fetterman's dress on the floor of the Senate. I want to have a heart-to-heart conversation with Curtis about how he's going to dress if he becomes mayor. You know, he wears the... The red beret and the red sateen jacket, as he calls it. I don't know if he made up that word or that is what that material is called. But you can give Fetterman a hard time, I guess. What about Curtis? You know, they call it the Blue Room at City Hall. We're going to talk about that a little. There's actually a lot of news in that. In the the second hour, we have a two-hour show today. In the second hour, we're going to talk a little bit about the latest news on the migrant immigration crisis. And that is temporary protective status granted to Venezuelans who came in before a certain point in July. I mentioned this briefly in passing to a caller uh, a couple of weeks ago who said, so what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I can tell you some of the solutions that the president can do. One you're not going to like, and that was TPS, but we didn't dwell on it. We'll talk about that a little in the second hour. If you want to reach out, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. As Jim Flippin has been telling you, it's ugly outside. You probably can see that. As Was it Bob Dylan that said, I don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind is, is blowing? Well, You don't need to be a weatherman to know that it is ugly outside, remnants of one hurricane or another blowing through. So I'm glad you can spend some time with us. 
800-848-WABC, 800-848-8222. You can also reach out to me on X, Twitter, at Rep Wiener, and WienerWABC at gmail.com. So a lot of news this week. It seems that your government will soon shut down. Uh, but we're not going to do that this week because I think it's scheduled to shut down next week right after hmm, – I actually will know a little bit more by next week. But if you want to get a preview of it, I have spoken – did a whole podcast dedicated and we we spoke about this at the beginning of the year when Kevin McCarthy was elected. We said, look, this is going to be very hard. You've got the difference in the – between the House – Majority and minority is five seats. It's actually less now. You know, a couple of people are away. A couple of people aren't feeling well. And while Nancy Pelosi had a similarly small majority, she was able to get a lot of stuff done because Democrats, the more conservative Democrats and the more progressive liberal Democrats, they all want to get stuff done. They have stuff they want to get. So there's you can do a deal, right? You can say, all right, you give a little of this. We'll give a little of that. We'll all pull together as a caucus. That combined with the idea that Nancy Pelosi was a legitimately a good, persuasive leader. I've described on the show before that there's not a lot she can threaten people with. Kevin McCarthy doesn't have a lot of arrows in his quiver in terms of forcing people to compromise. But the difference with the House of Representatives Republicans in 2023 is there's a handful of them, and I don't think there are 20. I think there are probably 10, maybe less even, that just want to burn the place down metaphorically. They don't really have stuff they want to accomplish. They want to get you know they want to get likes they want to make videos they want to you know they want to make political points they're the people who are like you got to impeach they're the people who let's shut down the government we don't care and so i think it's going to be really hard i don't know how mccarthy gets this done um but we'll talk about that more next week when it becomes more clear they still have i think until sunday when the house shuts down i just want to tell you this is one of those rare times though you can't blame biden you can't blame the democrats this is the republicans fighting amongst themselves so We'll see how that works out. We'll talk about that next week. If you live in New Jersey, your senior senator has been indicted. Um, I don't know what this is going to do with all these narratives about about the weaponization of the Justice Department. I've been on the air two weeks in a row talking about prominent Democrats being indicted. You had Joe, uh, Hunter Biden, son of Joe, being indicted, and now you have – the ranking Democrat, the, the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, I think he stepped down, um, being indicted for the second time by Joe Biden's Justice Department. It's funny, this week they had hearings of Merrick Garland, and it was one Republican after another just giving speeches. And this woman, Veronica, I think her name is Veronica Spatz, Sparts. She's going to have to she – she's become like a, a viral sensation, but now recently no one's downloading her videos anymore. This is what she had to say at the hearing with Merrick Garland. Americans don't trust this president. So you – I want to ask you one thing. You know, as you – you know, I don't need answer because I know you're not going to, but I think you're probably a good American and you care. And a lot of these people are so afraid they cover up this stuff, I think, in your department because they're embarrassed – that what we became as a country, to say that what our Department of Justice became, that allows Russians to do propaganda in Chinese. It allows them to destabilize our country. That is danger to our republic. Yeah, it really looks bad for our republic when the party that's in power, the Democratic Party, the Justice Department, takes, you know, indicts the Democratic chairman of one of our committees 
when there's a single, you know, when there's a very narrow majority or whatever, it's not really a single person, but it's like a, it, it could, it basically is a single person majority for the Democrats. Yeah. This is what makes our country great. We have a justice system that is apart from the legislative, you know, that the justice department is independent. And sure enough, James Menendez, who I know, I, I actually voted for when, when Menendez ran for, I want to say, head of the Democratic caucus. And he won by one vote, and I voted for him. So whenever I would see him, I was saying, you owe me, pal. I made you the chair of the Democratic caucus when he was in the House. And now he's saying that he's been indicted because he's Latino, something to that effect. You know, what happened to the day when people, when they said that kind of thing? Oh, I'm getting indicted for political reasons. Oh, I'm getting indicted because I'm a Latino. Oh, I'm getting what? That people said, oh, no, you, you, you know, I took the time to read the, the indictment, you got indicted because you, they got a lot of evidence. You did some pretty bad things. I went to prison. I, I, I was indicted under, under Donald Trump. I was, a, I was a firebrand Democrat. I never said that stuff because I knew there's a higher standard when you're an elected official. You, got, you could expect that they're going to try to make an example out of you. And by the, stuff, by the way, I read the indictment. You know, just, I said this on the, a couple of times during the Trump thing, the, the Trump indictments. When I said I like to think if this was a Democrat, I'd also be reading these indictments and taking them seriously. And Trump, Menendez, Biden, they all have a presumption of innocence. No doubt about it. Okay, But if you take – you know, a lot of these indictments are not written in – are not written in in Portuguese. They're written in pretty plain English. And the stuff that that Menendez is accused of doing is essentially sharing – not secret, but inside non-public information with the country of Egypt. His wife was doing monetary deals around that information and, you know, piles of cash and everything else. Now, he's going to get a chance to defend himself. But I just don't – I think that we can – maybe me finally can we stop with, oh, my God, only Republicans get indicted. No, no. If you do, if you do crimes, law enforcement comes after you. Not always. Sometimes they get it wrong. And a lot of times, you know, and believe me, not maybe everything that you've read about Menendez, probably not all of it's going to turn out to be true. But um, Menendez and Hot Seat. And, I, you know, I heard James Slippin during the news say that he stepped down from being the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, but he hasn't resigned his seat. There are some members of Congress of the Democratic Party. That's a big difference in the Democrats and Republicans nowadays. There are Democrats out there. Democrats drummed me out. Democrats turned on Franken. Democrats are turning on Menendez. I just think Republicans should, you know, kind of take notes here that sometimes your guy does stuff that's not good. Again, presumption of innocence. He deserves it. He should get it. But all of that being said, there once upon a time that we respected law enforcement enough to say that, listen, we at least give them the benefit of the doubt. And if a prosecutor comes up with an indictment that's chock full of really damning things, we don't just say, oh, my goodness, it's it's made up or because it's, it's political. But that's a Menendez thing. If you want to weigh in on it, I don't know what more we have to really say on it. He either did the stuff or he didn't do the stuff, and there's going to be a trial. Maybe there'll be a trial. I say there's going to be a trial because 97% of the time there's not a trial. But if you're a big deal like Menendez, he may go down fighting and he may try to make the case that this wasn't this was his wife's business or he may try to make the case that he didn't reveal anything that wasn't public or he may try to make the case that there's nothing wrong with taking payment for services like his wife did in cash. That's probably what something like that will be the argument. 
So the other thing going on this week is that there is apparently a race by the two presidential candidates most likely to be on your ballot in November to get to Michigan as quickly as possible to join in supporting the United Auto Workers in their strike against the big three. Well, it's not the big three. Actually, Ford is not being striked against. It is UAW and that one whose name Solantis, I think it's called. And so let me give you some numbers around that. And when, uh, and um, so in 2007, the top UAW wage was $28 an hour. Today, almost 16 years later, it's $4 higher. $4 of increases in 15 years. And we know what the inflation rate has been during that period. That means the top salary at someone who's a, a United Auto Workers um, employee who works for 20 years, 30 years, works eight hours a day, five days a week, he makes $67,000 a year. And it's not that they that GM has not been doing well or that Solantis hasn't been doing well. GM, um, at or near record profits. $10 billion last year, which would have been unthought of like years ago. Solantis, which is whatever's left of Chrysler and a couple of others, they made $12 billion just in the first six months of this year alone. They're doing extraordinarily well. And I think the workers are saying, look, we would like, we would like to benefit from this a little bit. And they've said, you know, we don't want every dollar that is going to the chief executive, but Mary Barra, the CEO of General Motors, her compensation package is $29 million a year. And over the last four years, she's made over $100 million. And this is, this is all while workers have been basically making their, their buying powers less than it was a generation ago. And you know, we've heard a lot about, about strikes recently, right? This has been – it's not your imagination – there are more workday hour workdays that were lost to strikes and work stoppages in the last month um, than any time since the year 2000. You've not, in addition to the UAW, you've got the Writers Guild of America. You know, SAG after you've heard about that. Starbucks workers, Amazon workers, the Teamsters, UPS, flight attendants, and it's because wages are just not going up while corporate profits are going through the stratosphere. And people say, well, oh, my God, it's bad for the economy when there are strikes. Sometimes it's not. I mean, when you have a situation like today that blue-collar earnings were basically higher in 1969 when adjusted for inflation than they are today. That's in the chart, you know, non-supervisory wages. It's kind of a a shorthand for blue-collar. I mean, we used to have real upward mobility in this country, and it was because we had a strong labor movement. If you're if, if you an adult who was born in the early 1940s, 90% of those people were earning more than their parents by the time they reached their prime earning years. The whole idea that one generation does better than the last. Only half of adults that were born in the mid-1980s are earning more than their parents now that they're in their prime earning years. And we've got this other trend that one of every five American workers is in a part-time job. And two-thirds are living paycheck to paycheck. That's why 
75% of Americans, and we don't, you know, I've said this before, we don't agree on a lot. 75% of Americans support this UAW strike because they realize that, you know, workers have to stand up. And I mentioned to you that it's not bad for the economy because what happens is not only do the not only are these strikers striking for themselves but they're striking for you because the fear of strikes the the idea like we you know what is the first thing that happened when amazon workers started to organize amazon plants left and right amazon was throwing new benefits at those workers so that they wouldn't unionize that's the that's the playbook so not only are these strikers sacrificing for themselves, they're, strike, they're sacrificing for others. And this is not just a phenomenon in the car industry. Since 1978, listen to the statistic. We're doing numbers of the week. Since 1978, CEO pay across the economy has gone up 1,460% since 1978. That's a long time. To give you an idea, you know what worker pay has gone up? 18%. Since 1978. And what and why is that happening? Why is this disparity gone? Because corporations, one, they're being more and more greedy, but two, they're taking more and more of their money and saying, we're not going to give it to our workers. We're going to give it to ourselves. And how do they do that? They do something called stock buybacks. The big three automakers in the last 10 years, $66 billion in stock buybacks and dividends, basically things that help shareholders. And you're like, well, everyone's a shareholder. No, only about 10% of this country controls about 90% of the shares that are sold. And who really benefits is the people who are compensated with share, share prices. So the CEO sits back and does nothing. He plays solitaire at his desk all day. And all he does all year, let's hypothetically, is – he does a billion dollars of stock buyback. By doing that, you basically artificially increase. When you buy something, it increases the value. There's a massive a billion dollars buying something drives up the price of it. And that CEO, he's got options or he's being paid based on the stock price. Boom, he's done. So the number $66 billion over the last 10 years, that's $440,000 for every UAW worker, all 150,000 of them, and yet they've gotten nothing. So more power to them. So whose side are you on? 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Whose side are you on? And when we come back, you are going to be either surprised or you're going to say, of course, when I let you know whose side some of the candidates for president are on and what they have to say about this, including your favorite candidate. Well, I don't know who your favorite candidate is. This is Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle on a rainy day. I'm so grateful to have you along. We have two hours today. And on the other side, we'll talk more about whose side we should be on. I remember Christmas in the blistering cold in the church on the Upper West Side. Baby, through the singing, I was holding your arm. You were holding my trust like a child. Found a lot of trouble out on Avenue B, but I tried to keep the overhead low. Farewell to the city and the love of my life. As we left before we had to go. Love won't play any games with you anymore if you don't want them to. So 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. So welcome back to the middle. Which side are you on? That was a union anthem from the coal miner strike. I can't I read once where it was from, but there's a great, maybe we can get the live version. It's a great YouTube version of Pete Singer seeking that live. Maybe we'll get that for the next break. So we're talking a little bit about this UAW strike and writ large, this idea of whose side are people on and in, on a very basic level, isn't that what what campaigns are about? What the you know you want to have a visceral sense who people are fighting for, right? Whose side are they on? Who are the candidates? Do they understand? You know, I think people misunderstand this. I was I was obviously an elected official for a long time, and I would try to explain this to folks. They don't want you to necessarily agree with them on every issue. They don't necessarily believe that you should have the answer for everything. But they do want to get a sense of whether you, when you get up in the morning, you're thinking about the problems and the concerns that they have that they share. 800-848-WABC, 800 848 
And so this kind of an issue of like workers standing up for their rights and saying, I just want to raise, man. And who's going to stand up for the greed of the corporate elite and who's going to stand up for the working person? And it just so happens we have a campaign for president going on right now. We get a chance to hear from some of these people. And they've been underwhelming so far. So a couple of people have been asked about this. I think the first one we have queued up is Nikki Haley. Well, I think that's uh, it tells you that when you have the most pro-union president and he touts that he is um, emboldening the unions, this is what you get. And I'll tell you who pays for it is the taxpayers. You know, here, from what I understand, the union is asking for a 40 percent raise. Um, You know, the companies have come back with a 20 percent raise. I think any of the taxpayers would love to have a 20 percent raise and think that's great. But, you know, the problem is this is going to we're all going to suffer from this. This is going to cost things to go up. And, you know, this is going to last a while. But, you know, when you have a president that's constantly saying, go union, go union, this is what you get. The unions get emboldened and then they start asking for things that, you know, that companies have a tough time doing. And so I don't think government should get involved in this. These are private sector matters. But I do think the tone of how a president talks about unions and how a president emboldens them does play a role in this. And we're seeing what Biden has done play a role in this. Well, I I mean, that's Nikki Haley uh, from South Carolina. A couple of things that's interesting about that. This whole thing, Joe Biden wants to be pro-union. I don't know if – I don't think I I gave it to to Ava and Kevin to cut. They've already – Biden's already made that into a TV commercial. People support union workers. And this whole idea, they, 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 they're going to get it there. Yeah, that's who you want to represent. You, Nikki Haley, want to represent work or you want to represent people who got to get up every morning and go to work? I mean, whose side is Nikki Haley on right there? She's basically saying that the billions of dollars that GM makes should not go to the workers. I mean, right? Isn't that the summary? I don't want to be unfair to her. She's saying it shouldn't go to the workers. It should go to the investor class. It should go to her. Why is it wrong? I mean, she, she it kind of she doesn't really answer the question. Why is it bad that workers get what they want? <laughs> and she keeps saying taxpayers would be happy. Taxpayer, what is she talking about? Taxpayer, taxpayer. They, they are your constituents, Nikki. They are the people that you want to represent. And if wages come up for people, why is that a bad thing? That's a thing that every president should celebrate. If everyone was able to negotiate an increase in their in their salary, why would that be, you know, what you're concerned about inflation? Well, you weren't concerned about that when when it's when it's stock buybacks and when it's tax cuts for wealthy people. So that's Nikki Haley. So we know what side she's on. She's on the side of the not they, right? Because it obviously she doesn't use herself in that. So next we heard one that got even crazier. This is her fellow her colleague from South Carolina, Tim Scott. Ronald Reagan gave us a great example when federal employees decided they were going to strike. He said, you strike, you're fired. Simple concept to me, to the extent that we use that once again, absolutely. All right, so you've you've almost disqualified yourself from being president of the United States, if that's your answer. First of all, the air traffic controllers were contractually forbidden from striking. They were government they were government workers and they're air traffic controllers. These are private sector workers. At least Nikki Haley had the 
brain power to say that this is a private business matter. But that's his answer? That's his answer to this issue of like people trying to go from $28 an hour to $32 an hour is 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 we should fire them? That's the example I would take? Man, oh man. He's trying too hard. He's either trying too hard or not doing enough thinking stuff through. I keep hearing he's the one he wants to be a more compassionate type of of Republican. What does that tell you? But like so many things, does it really matter if these second tier candidates, what they think? Because I think their debate is on Thursday, I want to say. Donald Trump, the master of counter-programming, who last time didn't show up at a debate because he went on Twitter with with Tucker Carlson, who later went on to do an interview with someone who claimed that he had performed fellatio on a Barack Obama, whatever it is. So this time, his counter-program is he's going to go to Michigan. I think that's what he said. And he is – I don't think he's going to walk the picket line or anything, but he's going to go show support for the UAW. But he was asked about this on Meet the Press. This one's a little longer. Listen to his answer to this question. My question for you, Mr. President, whose side are you on in this? Uh, I'm on the side of uh, making our country great. Uh, The auto workers uh, are not going to have any jobs when you come right down to it, because if you take a look at what they're doing with electric cars, electric cars are going to be made in China. The auto workers are not going to have any. I'll tell you what. The auto workers are being sold down the river by their leadership, and their leadership should endorse Trump. The reason is you got to have choice. Like in school, I want school choice. I also want choice for cars. If somebody wants gasoline, if somebody wants all electric, they can do whatever they want. But they're destroying the consumer, and they're destroying the auto workers. The auto workers will not have any jobs, Kristen, because all of these cars are going to be made in China. The electric cars automatically are going to be made in China. All right. So that's President, the former President Donald Trump, not one time saying, I I believe that workers should get paid more. He does this riff where he says, just to repeat, that all electric cars are going to be made in China. You know, I've said this on this program before. People comment about some of the loopy things and incoherent things that Joe Biden says. What exactly does he mean by that? Why? They dominate us right now in the production of electric car batteries, and they're doing a lot more production. But all of these companies that are ramping up that UAW workers are working at are here in the United States. The Joe Biden policies, the the Democratic policies, the a single Republican vote offers incentives to to buy American cars. He doesn't know what he's talking about, and no one ever calls him on it. Whose side? He was asked, whose side are you on? And he would not say the words, I'm on the side of the worker. He wouldn't say it. Now, his record on labor has been a disaster. That's part of it. Remember he made that big deal, oh, I'm going to stop the carrier plant from closing in, in, in Indiana and moving to Mexico. And he got snookered because he announced that they were staying and they wound up ultimately half the jobs left. And then two years later... You know, General General Motors was closing an auto plant in Lordstown, Ohio. And instead it was sold and reopened as, wait for it, an electric vehicle startup that didn't work out. But still, Trump showed up and was like showing off the company's models. But more importantly, 
on the on when when he had control of the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, to make it easier for people to organize, he went the other way. He was on the side of the businesses, of the oligarchs, of the of the people that had the money that were trying to stop the workers from growing. And I've heard a few different places. This is this is kind of a tell. These these Republicans, they don't want to say that I don't stand up for the for the workers. I'm on the side of the of the money and interest. So they make up stuff about electric cars. Guys, electric cars, this is the free market working. The electric cars are becoming a thing all around the world. All around the world. Because people are tired of giving money to the people that bombed us on September eleventh to the homicide bombers of, 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 of Saudi Arabia. People are tired of that. People are tired of us getting involved in foreign, in, in foreign wars and, 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 and because of oil. People are tired of paying $6 a gallon at, at gasoline. They're tired of paying someone else. And this technology is happening. People, oh my God, it's changing everything. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? There used to be a lot of people whose job it was to shovel horse manure off the street because that's the way we got around. Those people had to come up with a different job. I'm not UAW workers are still going to be making these electric cars. Are there fewer parts? Yes. Do they last longer? Yes. Are there fewer repairs? Yes. Do they get more miles to the gallon? Yes. We're going to adapt. We're going to adapt. And we get back, we'll take some of your calls. This is The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you on the other side. And I'm on your side. Whose side are you on? Pete Seeger taking us out. Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? They say in Harlan County, there are no neutrals there. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Welcome back at Save Ferris. The world is new. All right, so we're talking a little bit about the UAW strike, and it's which side who you on. I, I realize that I have been saying whose side are you on because I was trying to do a, a riff about that classic folk song. Um, and we're going to take some calls. Now, 800-848-WBC, 800-848-9222. And I want to tell you that at uh, we'll talk a little about immigration at the top of the hour. I know some people are already on the board about it. Here's the problem I do Kind of, I touch on some issues, and I have to find out from Ava, who knows this stuff better than I. So 
I talk a little bit about Fetterman. Kind of, we're going to talk about that with Curtis and mention the migrants. We're going to talk about that in a few. And then the board fills up because that's what people want to argue about. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take some of these Fetterman hoodie calls, but you better be prepared to tell me which side you're on. If you're on the side of the workers or you're on the side of the the CEOs who are making millions and millions of dollars and pumping up their own stock rather than giving some to the working guy. By the way, I do think this is kind of a good issue for the middle because the numbers are overwhelming that people, you know, you look at the states where these these plants are, a lot of them are swing states, a lot of them are red states. And even if you're in a right-to-work state like Nikki Haley and uh, Senator Scott, South Carolina, by the way, states with some of the highest poverty rates, just putting it out there. Even if you're in one of those states, you and you're building cars, and you're or you're at a Tesla plant, and you're non-union, everyone benefits when these these actions happen because it's it it reshapes what the baseline is that companies can pay, even if they're not covered by the union. So. That's that. All right, let's go to the phones. First, let's start with Maria and Tom's River. Hey, Maria, thank you for getting us started today. Yeah, good morning, Anthony. As far as uh, John Fetterman goes, the, a senator is supposed to be an august, revered figure, a deep thinker. The other night I saw John Fetterman on the TV, and I was appalled. He looks like the kind of a guy, if I was walking down the street, I would run away because he looks like he's going to mug me. And what came to mind is the Emperor Caligula back in Rome. He he hated the Senate. He had no use for them. One day he brought a horse into the Senate, and he said, "This can be a senator." And that's what I'm thinking of. That this show, Maria. This shows like Maria. You lived in Tom's River, New Jersey. You didn't vote for him, right? Excuse me. You didn't vote for Fetterman, did you? You live in New well, Jersey, I right? I can. He's in he's in Pennsylvania. Right. How can I? Why do you care? And because this shows, because this shows like the whole democratic um, concept for all our their contempt for all our. Well, let me. You know what shows contempt? Well, I appreciate it, Maria. You know what shows contempt? Did you see what some of those people were wearing when they stormed into the Capitol to try to stop the election of, of Joe Biden? What were they wearing? I don't hear people calling up saying there's some guy wearing horns or something. There are people wearing. Wearing profanity on their shirts, there were people who were who had defiled the American flag. What about what those people are wearing? Cut it out! Like oh, I'm so outraged what they're wearing. I didn't hear anyone call up and talk about what those people were wearing on January 6th when they broke into the Capitol. I care what he's wearing. I care what he's doing. And I'm this phoniness, like, oh, I just care about the august United States Senate. I'd rather some of those bozos, you know, walked in with a scuba outfit on rather than vote the way they are in favor of keeping CEO wages as high as possible and stepping in it and saying we should fire them all like Scott did. What phoniness. And you hear people complaining about defiling of the Capitol then. Oh, no, everyone's like, oh, they got too much. Let's give them all a pardon. Or, no, it didn't happen. It was Antifa. Everyone called up and said, what about that guy with a shaman wearing horns or whatnot? And sheepskin or whatever the F he was wearing. Forgive me. 
Whose side are we on here? We'll talk about what guys wearing a hoodie. Who cares? Honestly. Joanne in Westchester. Why do you care, Joanne? Oh, it's so funny, Anthony. I have to tell you, I, as far as the attire of uh, anybody in, in such a position as Fetterman is and everybody else, I think it's horrendous that he thinks that he can get away with that. And that, that Schumer pardoned, I think he did already, right? Or, yeah, he did. Because uh, who, who was it that wore a bathroom? You know what? I think it's horrendous. They need to command some respect. And by dressing like the kids of today, like a woman called in the last show, and she said, oh, you know, he's trying to look like the kids of today. Well, guess what? My son is a kid of today. He's 49 years old, and he does not dress like that when he goes to work. He I know, like I know, but Joanne, but Joanne, can I ask you? But listen, would you rather he dress like a slob and vote the right way for our country or dress impeccably? And vote terribly. What would you prefer? Let, no, no, no. Okay, we need some kind of a combination. You have to come to some kind of a combination here of, uh, uh, you know, you have to meet at the middle, your middle here. Okay, because guess what? That is totally, totally, no matter, just despite the rest of what's going on, I'm going to put everything aside and just address that issue because that to me is— Do you—let me ask you, Joe, how often do you watch the United States Senate in, in session? Do you watch C-SPAN 2 a lot? Well, you know— no, I just watch a little bit of everything. No one does. No one watches. No one watches C-SPAN. But right now, and I appreciate you, Ann. You're always one of my favorite callers. Right now, do you know there's no rule? Right now, if you're stand, you know, right, it happens all the time. If you watch carefully on C-SPAN two, which is where they broadcast gavel to gavel coverage of the Senate, if someone's wearing, by the way, I talk about this a little bit on on my podcast this week, The Middle Unplugged. I encourage you to go download it. Right now, if you come from the golf course and you're wearing your golf outfit and you and it's time to vote, you just stand off to the side and cast your vote. People go on the floor all the time that are dressed, quote unquote, inappropriately. I liked what well, we had. We had rules in the House of Representatives that every once in a while they would have to be changed. I remember we had Ben Nighthorse Campbell. He was a congressman from um, Colorado. He was Native American, and so he wore a bola tie, which technically was in violation of the rules. So we changed the rules. Not a big deal. Every once in a while, someone needs a waiver from the rules because of some, you know, whatever it is. But you had to wear a suit and tie. You had to. I liked it. I liked it. I liked the formality. I liked it. I liked the idea we all got dressed up. I liked it. But I don't care that much about it. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to fight about it. We have people who are on the picket line right now who have not had their salary had their salary go four dollars an hour in sixteen years. These people are fighting for all of us, and we're worried about some one senator's hoodie when another senator is accused of, of taking gold bars from the Egyptian government in exchange for information. I mean, look, here's my thing. My thing is we like to argue about stuff sometimes a lot. And I'm, look, I'm in the business. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm, I'm in an opinion business. I get it. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And we're in a place here where it's news and opinion and it's a nice cocktail and I get it. But the lady doth protest too much. Like I don't, I don't dress that way. I don't wouldn't dress that way either. But who cares? I want him to vote the right way. 
And I heard people coming on. People coming on. You know, I heard today on uh, a, a Bo Snerdley's program, a great program that he has here on the weekends. The not the rush hour. It's the what does he call it, Ava? What does he? What does Bo call his show? The Saturday morning extravaganza. Thank you, Ava. And he had one of his regular guests on, making fun of the idea that he has he he has cognitive issues, or not cognitive issues, speech issues, or because he had a stroke. That's that's who we are as Americans, <laughs> really. And I remember when they when he had that debate, and people were making fun of him, and Republicans were like gleeful about how amazing, how great. Oh, this is a perfect example. You know what people were saying? How senatorial Oz looked, and what a mess. Fetterman was. And I said on the air at the time, I said, voters are human beings. They want to know that you're that the fact that you're struggling with something that maybe a member of their family struggled with. Is not a it's not a vice. They had a hearing in Congress this week. Where people with disabilities testified in the United States Senate. About how difficult it is to have services at their workplace and in school to help them to be able to participate in the American dream equally. Go take a look at Fetterman's opening remarks on that. Made me proud to be an American. He was empathetic. He was compassionate. He was understanding. He was something that we want our senators to be. I don't think he was wearing a hoodie. I don't I frankly know what he was. he was. I didn't pay attention to what he was wearing. I think he might have been wearing a hoodie actually. And these witnesses, some were hard of hearing, some were speech impaired, some had disabilities of all sorts. He was one of them. That to me is way, way, way more important to whether he's wearing a hoodie. This is The Middle. We'll be right back. to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Pete Seeger, the famous, iconic Pete Seeger, singing about 
That was a coal mine. No. Yeah, that was a coal mine strike. We were talking about the UAW strike, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Which side are you on? I was saying, whose side are you on? Actually, I think we have to change the... I have to tell Kevin to change the title of the podcast version of this show. I think I wrote, Whose Side Are You On? Let's go to a few more calls, and then the top of the hour, we'll talk a little bit about immigration. Uh, let's go to Al in Yonkers. Hey, Al, welcome back. Yeah, hi, Congressman. You know, Congressman, I'm a pro-union person, but I'd have to say the go-on strike now is the wrong time. If the uh, UAW looked to the uh, Hollywood uh, Guild actors and actresses, their union, uh, they've been out, and uh, a lot of those workers, a lot of those people in that industry, they have to uh, go and get other jobs to pay their bills. And also, you run the risk of being laid off. Uh, GM has just laid off some workers. As you remember, as a congressman over a decade ago, uh, the Celeste workers in the Bronx was, uh, went out on strike for a year, and then the plant closed. So it's a bad time to strike. Wait, wait, what do you, why is it? What do you mean a bad time? What would have been a better time since 2007 would have been when they had just been rescued? The companies had just been rescued by the taxpayer. Would that be a good time to go on strike? I don't think so. I, I mean, think right now the economy is very bad right now. Inflation the economy, the economy, the economy is not so terrible right now. Inflation is way down from where it was a year ago. Would they would go on strike during the Trump years? I don't know. During during the Trump years, the NLRB was was taking away people's right to strike. Look, this is their decision to make, right? They're smart enough to understand their workers are 150 some odd thousand of them, 115 thousand of them, and they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for things to get better. And during this period of time. What has the court, what is anything has GM done to show that they're going to come around? They do stock buybacks. They give dramatic increases to their CEO and nothing goes to workers. And, and you say, well, let's just wait a little longer. I mean, why is the middle class, why is the working guy always the one that has to wait? No one had to wait for the stock buyback. They made that decision at one board meeting and boom, it was done. And, and automatically their executives got richer. Well, I appreciate it, Al. Thank you for calling. Call us back. Um, how about Richard in Texas? Hey, Richard, welcome back. Um, you know, on the Fetterman thing, it's really at the low end of my uh, list, but it's just another example of the degradation of uh, where we're heading as a society. That's really what it is. You know, where the standards are getting less and less. Wouldn't maybe, may, may, Well, maybe what we should have, Richard, is standards like your senator has, that when there's a storm coming and as a power outage, he's pretending to be in Texas when he's away on vacation. Is that a higher standard? Well, I didn't want to get into that right now. I want to go now to the UAW. That was just my opinion of the Fetterman. I understand, and, 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 I, and I, 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 I came back to you with something about this whole idea of standards. I think standards go well, well beyond what someone wears. But, Richard, what's your other point? Anyway, I'm hoping uh, Fetterman, though, I'll say one last thing. Maybe he'll come in a Speedo next, and I think that would be terrific. Well, what, anyway, if he, what if he came in a Speedo but didn't give giant tax increases to the very wealthy and then stiff the working guy? How about he comes – how about you say, I want my elected officials – and I know he doesn't represent Texas – I want my elected officials to fight for me and fight for working people and not stand up for the, the super wealthy in this country all the time. I don't care what he's wearing, but go ahead, Richard. What's your other point? And I voted for the uh, uh, the strike. So, you know, I think I'm a pretty fair-minded person. Uh, so I think that's important before I say what I'm going to say. On the UAW front, now, what they wanted was uh, a 
they wanted a 40% increase over how many years, I don't know. And they wanted a, 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 five, a, a four day work week, but paid for 40 hours. Now, obviously I believe in negotiating, but I don't believe in giving them everything they want. And yes, they deserve a pay raise, obviously. They haven't gotten a raise in many years. And uh, in that sense, you and I are in agreement. agreement. The disagreement could be how much is too much. And Well, I wait a minute. Why don't you analysis. want – let me ask you something, Richard. Why don't you want them to get as much as they absolutely possibly can? There are a bunch of working people in the United States of America who are literally building our country. Whose side are you on? I'm in the middle of that, and I think you need to negotiate. And the Why do you is, want – but hold on – middle between the, the, uh, a CEO and a corporation who are making billions of dollars of profit and the working – how can you be in the middle of that? You're all the way to the working. Richard, you're a good man. You're all the way on the side of the people who are fighting to build this country. That's whose side we're on. This is The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. We'll see you on the other side. Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Hour number two of the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Thank you so much for joining me. If you are listening to me because your friend Hurricane Ophelia or something is leaving some rain on your streets, it's great to have you along. I hope you're someplace safe. Spent the first hour talking about the UAW strike, and we'll keep taking calls. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I'm going to take you all the way up to 4 o'clock. And then Curtis Slee will come in. Maybe he has a different take on this Fetterman thing because he too has kind of a uniform that is not entirely normal for politicians. He wears the red beret, the red sateen. <laughs> That's what he calls it. It isn't satin, but he calls it a sateen jacket. And I'm curious if he becomes mayor, what his daily uniform is going to be. I, for one, when I when I was obviously on the floor of Congress, I had to wear my my jacket, but almost all the other times I wore a shirt and tie, kind of like Jim Jordan does. I was doing that before Jim Jordan was doing it. He stole it from me. I should should have trademarked that move. Um, and again, he was more comfortable, plus the whole rolling up the sleeves thing. <clears throat> Pardon me. But I want to talk a little bit about the news this week on the migrant crisis. And it was this idea that 47,000 or so Venezuelans who came to this country before July 31st will be granted something called temporary protective status. 
And the immediate impact of that is they no longer have the 180-day wait period to, to get work permission to work. Now, just so you understand, it has nothing to do with the impact that it has on Chicago and New York and border cities. That's not – you can't use TPS for that purpose. The president doesn't have that. The president has to make the determination that because of the situation in the country they're coming from, that prevents their safe return is the way that the law is, is written. Now, I should point out that the United States of America had the, the policy as recently as August – um, and frankly, still today to some degree, that they will be removed if they're found to have no legal basis to stay. So the idea that those that were coming before July 31st can't safely be returned, so they have TPS, and anyone after can be returned, has me scratching my head a little bit. But you should feel about this depending upon which camp you're in. I said this, I think, last week. If you're concerned about the cost to the taxpayer, if you're concerned about where they're going to live, if you're concerned about your tax dollars and the impact if you live in New York City, for example, this is good news because the more that they're able to work and move around to look for work, the less likely they are to congregate all in one place like in New York City and the less likely that they will be showing up to, to go into a shelter or something in New York City. So that's good news. But if you're concerned about the overall policy, will it lead to more people trying to come? This is the immigration version of the economic term moral hazard, that if you take someone who has done something they shouldn't be doing and you don't and you say that's OK, we're going to let you do it. It does encourage more people to believe that's going to happen in the future. And that's the problem with this to some degree. Like are people going to say, you know what, I'm going to come, keep coming because maybe they'll extend this, for example. Now, for the most part, that's not why people are coming from Venezuela. People are coming from Venezuela because your member of Congress most likely voted for very severe sanctions. I think it was during the Trump administration on the country of Venezuela because we don't like the Maduro government. We think they're a socialist government. We don't like the way they treated their people. The same reason we had people fleeing Cuba, some of it was because people didn't want to live under Castro, but some of it was that we had done so much to strangle their economy that we wound up creating migration. And so, yes, you might not like this temporary protective status thing, but if you really want to do something here, maybe what we should do is invest a little bit more in keeping people in the countries that they're in and a little less trying to destabilize countries that they're in. And one thing I don't understand, maybe Curtis can explain it. He's a Republican. Maybe you can explain it. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Where are all my Republican friends who who support the Cubans coming here. Why not the Venezuelans? It's they're, they're birds of a feather. They both are coming here because of failed socialist countries, Cuba less so than Venezuela. Venezuela had hyperinflation at the height of it. It was 300, 400%. The Maduro regime has been a failure. Now we helped it become a failure. People say, oh, let's 
slash foreign aid. I say maybe give them a little bit more foreign aid to help them stay in their own country. If we help a little bit with economic development in some of these countries, maybe they won't want to come here to the United States. But so TPS is going to be started. I don't, you know, I think it is going to help us on the financial side. I think it's good for taxpayers of the city of New York. Because, again, if someone can work anywhere in the United States, why would they all gather in New York? Just because there's there's a shelter in some place that someone's going to yell at you? No. you you If you have the ability to go to to Wisconsin and work on a dairy farm, you're going to go and do it. And we know that from past TPS. We have TPS, you know, we have some experience with this. If they're able to work and have some mobility around all 50 states because they can work, less likely they're going to be on our doorstep. I'm not saying none of it will be, but less likely. So let's go to some calls. Edward in Tampa, you've been waiting a while. I appreciate that. Go ahead, pal. Yeah, Anthony, thank you for taking my call. This week, uh, the Venezuela government rushed a prison because there were some prisoners living in luxury over there, uh, a lot of police and soldiers. And I've been telling people, besides Latin America, you're going to have Libyans and Moroccans because they had natural disasters. Turkey had an earthquake early in the year. All those people, if they don't make it to Germany, they're going to make it over here to the U.S., so I wanted to see what you think about yeah, that. Yeah, no, Coming there's there's the no doubt about it. Migration happens for all kinds of reasons. We have a lot more displacement today than any time in world history. So when people say, oh, global climate change is a hoax, well, ask all these people who had to get up and leave their homes because of something climate-related that happened. It's going to get worse and worse and worse, which is why – look, I know it's 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 a controversial thing to say and it's particularly controversial in – many Republican circles. But very often it's much cheaper and smarter for us to help people where they are. If we can figure out ways to like, you know, I know we have very strong political and philosophical views and, you know, yes, it made a lot of sense and I can't remember, I might have even voted for it. It makes a lot of sense to sanction Venezuela for being bad to their people or for being a socialist country that we don't like. Well, okay, this is what happens when you when you dismantle a country, it is. This is what happens. But 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 it was not wrong. It, that's the. This is we. People want to come to the United States in any circumstance. But people now, it's a fraction. For example, Ukraine. We took like a hundred thousand. But people or um, Syria. We took like ten thousand, and the rest of the world is taking in the millions. Right. So so we are not on the front line. We're far afield. But all of that being said. I just think that I want my elected officials and my president thinking more than just the, the, the tip of their nose, thinking a little bit into the future. And unfortunately, I think the sanctions against Venezuela have made things very bad for us in the United States of America. I mean, that's that's I mean, I, I, I believe that's the case. Um, next, let's go to uh, Pat in. Uh, it's hard to say where Pat is from. It says Pat is from Anthony. I don't think that's right. Pat, are you there? Yes. Hi. Good afternoon, Congressman. How are you? I am well, Pat. Thank you for calling us. Okay. First thing I wanted to say is I'm for the workers. (laughs) Oh, good. Because my mom was on strike when she was younger. She worked in a factory, a few factories here and there, and they had to go on strike to get the uh, union in. And uh, because otherwise they weren't going to get anything, no raises, no health care, nothing. So you know, this is supposed to be the USA. So I think these people deserve to have, um, you know, what they need. It's not what they want. It's what they need. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, I appreciate it. And also, Pat, there's the other element to this that, you know, we're all kind of in this together. This whole idea, you know, that that um, Nikki Haley was doing about they, 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 they. It's kind of us, right? You know, if, if the, the more that that we kind of stand up for working people, whatever their party is, and you listen to some of those interviews of the of the um, of the of the workers who were on strike. They had this big caravan of Jeep workers who were driving around in their Jeeps. And if you watch the video carefully, there's a lot of gun bumper stickers. There's a couple of Trump bumper stickers. You know, this is not a purely partisan thing. We should stand up for working people. That's what I think. Chris in Eastchester. Go ahead, Chris. Thank you for calling us. Thank you. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, I'm enjoying the show. Listen, I want to give an opinion about the, uh, the uh, UAW strike. Uh, I was a union official for 30 years involved with labor negotiations. So I, I, I just want to give you, uh, okay, let's say, for example, the starting point, okay, uh, of the uh, past contract, okay, was about 130 uh, uh, per hour, $130 per hour. I'm just using general numbers now, okay? All right? So if you factor in uh, an, uh, inflation into that amount of money, okay, uh, let's say 8% a year, that would bring the uh, package cost uh, to the, uh, uh, you know, that would add to the package cost, which would bring it up to about $130 per hour, okay, just to account for inflation over the last uh, contract increase. Okay. And that would, and that would be the starting point. Okay. For the future, uh, contract. And you would add to that amount. Okay? Yeah. They, they should, However, they should get in an inflation adjustment every year. Is that what you're suggesting? Inflation adjustment every year. Yeah. Okay. So whatever that math comes up to, okay. You allow the union, like let's say from a hundred thirty, it goes to two hundred dollars. And hour. can I, can I, but Chris, you, I appreciate the call, and, and you seem like you've given us some thought. First of all, it's twenty eight dollars an hour is what the top UAW wage is today. I'm sorry, um, twenty eight dollars is what it was fifteen years ago. It's thirty two dollars an hour today. That's what, and they're saying, give me a forty, give us a forty percent increase. And we know where they got that forty percent number. That's the number that the CEO got in one year. They're asking for the life of their contract. I don't think it's a lot to ask. Let's go to Adam and Mineola. Hey, Adam, welcome back. How you doing, sir? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, you know, I just wanted to say uh, something uh, about um, Senator Melendez. Um, you know, you don't see the Democrats calling for investigation of the prosecution or defunding the Justice Department just because Melinda's got indicted, sir, you know. So I'm just saying, you know, I, I'm a Democrat. I agree with Melinda's getting dim- indicted. You know, if he's doing crime, get him, you know. But don't start crying about what's happening to Trump because Trump got to pay for whatever he did. I just wanted to make that statement, sir. No, I, th- I, think, I think that's a fair point. I mean, look, here, here, here's the thing is that not so long ago, Menendez wouldn't have gotten away with saying they're prosecuting me because I'm Latino. But now, because that's the Republicans have kind of made this a talking point that people get prosecuted. I've been on two weeks in a row talking about famous Democrats being indicted, first Hunter Biden and now Menendez. And I'm holding a microphone here as someone who was prosecuted in the Trump administration while, you know, 
as as being of but I mean here's the difference. I mean the the big difference is we used to have a presumptive support of law enforcement in this country. Democrats and Republicans. We used to say we support law enforcement. Not that we think they're always right. Not that we think that there's never any any violations of due process. Not that they say that there's never been been a, 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 an African-American kid who was shot unnecessarily by a cop. No. But we do presume that, you know, they're operating in good faith. But suddenly Republicans, mostly Republicans, are like, no. They're, every crime, you know, I heard – I heard – Rita, Rita Cosby is one of my favorite hosts here at WABC. Her show is great. The show she does with John is great. When this news is breaking, she's like, oh, they wanted him out of the way because he doesn't support eliminating the um, the Iran nuclear deal. He doesn't want to bring it back, something like that. I'm like, no, maybe they just prosecuted him because he committed a crime. Could it, what, what, happened, what happened to us? How, do, how are we so – anti-law enforcement nowadays that we assume that everyone is doing an agenda rather than just people over there trying to do their job. I read this indictment just like I read the Trump indictment. If Menendez did the things that are alleged here, he should go to prison. He should be out of the Senate. He's a Democrat, but I believe that. If Donald Trump did the things that are alleged that he did, I am glad that he got indicted, showing classified documents, Trying to come, you know, overturning the the my vote for president. I don't care who. I don't care who's the in charge of the Justice Department. The Justice Department is not supposed to be a partisan place. And when it gets to be a partisan place, what happens? You've got the Watergate scandal and presidents getting impeached, and you've got you've got you know. President Trump trying trying to put in someone in place who's going to try to overturn the constitu the the, the freely uh, free transfer of power in our democracy. I support the police, I support the FBI. I support these guys. They're doing they're doing their job. Not all of them, and and I wish we had a more more access to trials in this country. Three percent of people getting access to a trial is not enough. But I read the indictment. It's pretty bad. And I'm a Democrat saying that. So when you have like Congresswoman Sparts or whatever her name is saying, how does this look to our adversaries? It looks pretty good when the the Democratic Party incumbent Justice Department is indicting the president's son and indicting the head of the Foreign Relations Committee. It shows that, you know what? Politics be damned. If you do something wrong in this country, you you should be prosecuted for it. 800-848-9222-800-848-WABC, wienerwabc at gmail.com. You can reach me on Facebook at Anthony D. Wiener. I'm bringing you until 4 o'clock, and then we're going to talk to Curtis Lewa about the latest in the migrant crisis, some of the protests he's been uh, leading, to be honest, and also his sartorial choices should he become mayor of the city of New York, the man in red giving press briefings in the blue room. That would be worth seeing, even though, you know, visualizing Eric, you know, Eric Adams and and Curtis Lee were having a debate about migrants right now would be kind of interesting. I got to, I got to admit, I, I mean, I'm a Democrat. I don't think I would vote for Curtis, but it would be an interesting race right now. And it seems that's the way we're headed. Anyway, we'll get to all of that when we come back from the break. Is Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Making it rain outside. It does look apocalyptic. It's a good day for radio. Good show so far, if I do say so. The caller's really making it work. We talked a little bit about the UAW strike. So no one, you know, a couple of people called up, kind of intimated that they're on the side of the moneyed interests and the bosses. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Christian on the phones. We'll get you up on the board. WienerWABC at gmail.com, at Rep Wiener. Twitter, taking you to 4 o'clock. Curtis is coming in for left versus right. And on behalf of Curtis and behalf of myself, I really want to express my gratitude. The show is doing very well. People are tuning in and sticking with it. Some people are hate listening. Some people um, are coming in for me and say, I don't want to listen to Curtis and you. Some people are... Say you know what? Let's. I'll bear it off. I'll bear. I'll bear Wiener for a couple of hours, and so I can listen to Curtis doing another show. Curtis has been really on fire recently. Just about everything he touches is doing well. Po- possibly because he's involved in not only controversial issues, but issues that are kind of like touching on our everyday life here in New York. And so he's going to be coming in. We're also going to talk about some playful things. People making fun of Fetterman wearing a hoodie. Well, what about Curtis Lee wearing a satin jacket? He wants to be our mayor dressed like that? I'm not sure how I feel about it. Let's go to Jack in Forest Hills. Hey, Jack, thank you for calling. Uh, I wanted to find out briefly on something you uh, stated earlier, that the law enforcement agencies are just simply, quote, doing their job, unquote, in prosecuting crimes objectively. Now, that's a, ideally a situation where, you know, that should exist, that the police have no partiality and they have no... Uh, subjectivity in terms of going after people, indicting people, prosecuting people, etc. But the fact of the matter is that the police agencies writ large are a branch of the executive arm of government, and they are influenced by people who are in politically uh, sensitive offices and elected offices, and they largely execute the will of people who hold political power for 
to address threats to that political power from people who don't hold it. Yeah, now, I know that that's said, no, no, that's the position. But what's your evidence for that? That being said, I'll give you something that's uh, no, a but Jack, less Jack, esoteric. Jack, no, no, that's not too esoteric. We're we're a high-minded, uh, uh, but but you made a statement without evidence. What is your evidence that the Justice Department seizes their role either as individuals or as a group? as protecting those in power? I'm sure that you're well aware of COINTELPRO. It was an agency-wide policy by the FBI and other agencies to target people back on the left back in the 1960s. I understand, Jack. I'm not saying, but but you, you made a statement not about individual circumstances. You said structurally that's the way they are. They're not. Structurally, they're designed with checks and balances so they do not become arms of the executive branch. What happened during Hoover, what happened during Nixon, what happened under Trump are the exceptions, not the rule. And remember, individual prosecutors' offices make these individual decisions. And I would argue that there's probably more imperative on their part to have high-profile things against elected officials – even of their own party and maybe especially of their own party because it sends a message. When I was sentenced for my crime, something that the Southern District said, you know, we've never charged anyone for this before. I really didn't have much of a chance to go to trial. I've described that circumstance before. They said you are going to plead guilty or we are going to go to trial on a much, much more harsher thing and anyway – But the judge, when she stood up to do the sentence, she says, look, he's in a program of recovery. You've done an enormous amount for your community. Many people wrote letters saying that you are a good congressman and everything else. You've shown contrition. You've made no effort to deflect blame. You've accepted responsibility. And I'm standing there. I'm like, oh, my goodness, maybe I'll get a a light sentence. And then she wound up sentencing me at the high end of the sentencing range because she said at the end of her presentation – there's a word for it when judges say it – she says, but – Because you're a public person, because you're a public figure and we want to deter other people, you're getting this sentence. So if you're Hunter Biden, you probably do get sentenced and treated more harshly. If you're Bob Menendez, maybe you do. I think there are pressures on both sides. But I have met a lot of people who are cops. I've met a lot of people who are prosecutors, who are judges. They all, I'm sure, have political leanings and partisanship in their bones. But the way the system is structured, I think people do a pretty good job. And you know what else I think? I think juries do an okay job. I mean, juries, I think, take it seriously. My my neighbors, I think, take it seriously. Now, some maybe, you know, nullify instructions that they get from the judge. That surely happened, for example, in the O.J. Simpson case, jury nullification. But I want us to kind of take a step back and remember what, what team we're on. Most Republicans have traditionally been pro-law enforcement people. And the amount of the FBI is on the take, the, the, the prosecutors are on the take, they're all, it's a weaponize this, weaponize that. I don't know. I'm not saying that everyone's perfectly behaved. But when I was coming up in politics, Republicans tried to be the ones to say that I'm pro-law enforcement. Now they're ones saying disband the, the defund the FBI. That's the point that I was making. Let's go to Rick in New Jersey. Hey, Rick, thank you for joining us. Hey, Anthony, thanks for taking my call. 
Um, you could save a lot of lives and you could stop a lot of the migration if you stop the global warming scam, driving up the price of fuel and driving up the cost of food. Wait, wait, wait. D- driving up the price doesn't doesn't switching to electric cars drive down the price of gas and, and oil? No. Yeah, it does. No. no. No, you guys are inflating all the prices. There's no what electricity, I don't know. Uh, wait, hold on a second. If we have less demand for fossil fuels because we're driving electric cars, what does that do to prices? You're forcing this on people. Wait, wait, what? But just, 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 we'll work with me, Derek, for a second. If we, if we use electric cars and don't buy fossil fuels to put in them anymore, does that drive Where the prices up or down? Power for them. What's Where that? Where are you going to get the power for? Them? We're going to have to. The, the power grid is going to have to is going to have to improve. Just the same way the power grid had to improve steadily for our entire existence as population grew. Want to kill millions of birds and bats with windmills? And oh, yo, suddenly birds, and, <laughs> birds and bats. You know what I don't want to kill any more of? I don't want to kill any more people that the Saudis attack. I don't want to. I don't want to fund any more Saudi terrorists that 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 that, that crash into buildings in my city. We're suddenly concerned about birds and bats and whatever. You know what I'm concerned about? Funding our enemies. Funding the Russians. Funding the Saudis. That's who I don't want to fund. We're driving up the price of, of food. Oh, yeah? If we are reduce the demand for fossil fuel, we drive down the price of fossil fuel. What is – what are the Saudis doing? What did they just announce that they're going to do? By the way, right after – uh, um, after the president, uh, President Trump's son-in-law got two billion dollars to work with them. What did they announce they're going to do? They're going to limit how much they're pumping because that drives up the price. Well, you know what? Another thing that drives down the price: limiting the, the limiting the demand. When was the price the lowest? It's been in like seventy years during COVID. We weren't driving anywhere. No demand. Prices went down. Imagine doing that because we're driving electric cars. Why are we so eager to fund the Saudis? That's what I want to know. And, and by the way, it's destroying our environment. And by the way, it's forcing people out of their homes and where they're showing up here in, in, in New York. I don't want to, electric cars are some international conspiracy. No, you know what that is? That's the marketplace. People are tired of pumping money into the pockets of the Saudis. Tired of it. People are tired of like, you know, why would you possibly want to, if you have a choice, here's the choice. You can power your, your car with something that is, you know, maybe infinite. Now more and more of the energy for power plants is coming out of solar and wind. You can power something that's infinite and renewable, or I can power something that's finite, that's killing the earth, and that funds our enemies. Oh, that's a tough choice. And somehow, the Republican Party has convinced you to call up radio stations and defend Exxon. The greatest trick. It's like Kaiser Soze in uh, Unusual Suspects. Somehow, they've convinced you to advocate on behalf of oil companies. Wow. Go to Gary and Edward. Hey, Gary. Good afternoon. I have a question. I'm very curious about these gold bars of Menendez. Uh, any information available about their size and weight? It's in the indictment, and they have uh, registration numbers on them. I don't know if that. I, I don't really know much about this. 
Business, yes, it is in the indictment. I don't have the full indictment. I just uh, wait a minute. What's so much paper? Let me see if I have it here. No, I I don't have the size of it. it they're gold bars. I don't I don't have much experience with gold bars. Do you, Gary? Yes, I do, and that's that extends my curiosity. You can go from grams to ounces, and I would be just an impressive point of view. What what that amount was as an owner of gold? Oh, it is. Uh, well, the one thing I would tell you is it was in the metrics. It, it wasn't pounds. It was something. It was something X number of kilograms or something. I don't. Yeah, gold is retailing at just under two thousand an ounce. By the way, one of the pieces of evidence they had against Menendez is his search history. Was what's the after they got it? What's the what's the trade price of gold right now? <laughs> he has a little bit. Look the. We have to see what his case is. He's gonna. He has entitled to a defense. Um, you know, you might be wondering, well, how come he hasn't resigned yet? If he's going to resign, he's going to do it as part of a deal. So he probably will wait to see what leverage. You know, he's no reason for him to resign right now. Obviously, Murphy wants him to resign. Some of his colleagues, most of his colleagues, who are lining up behind Murphy. Why are they doing it? I think you know they want to be appointed to his seat, which is what will be Murphy's right. This is The Middle. It's so great to have you along. We'll be right, right back with another segment, 800-848-9222. It's raining outside, but hopefully it's warm where you are, and we'll see you on the other side. to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Cats called? Spin doctors, yes. So in answer to the previous caller, there are one kilo bars. One from, it's stamped the Swiss Bank Corporation. Thank Christian for printing out the indictment for me. Yeah, two of them, I don't know, they're gold bars. <laughs> gold bars are kind of like, they're gold bars. I don't know what, what more you want about them. Let's go to Andrew and Stanhope. Hey, Andrew, welcome back. Hey, how's it going? Um, how's it going? I Good. appreciate my late father even more because I can only imagine your son Jordan has such a weasel like you as a father and such a dream liar. The truth is, like, I'm at a loss for words when I listen to your show of what a liar you are. Here's one example. Under Trump, gas prices were not $6 a gallon. We were actually energy independent. Before COVID, where you are in New York, there's vast reserves of natural gas, which Democrats 
block. Biden was just in Alaska going against oil permits in Alaska. He blocked the Keystone pipeline. Andrew, can I ask you a question? Andrew, why are you standing up for oil companies? I'm curious. Are they not making enough profit? Is $6 billion a quarter not enough for them? Can I answer your question? Well, I don't know. I mean, since you started out by by saying I'm a liar when I haven't said anything that's a lie, uh, no. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some question answering now. If they're making $6 billion of profit, where's that coming from? It's coming from the workers and it's coming off of your back. And if you don't think that there's global climate change that's ruining our earth, why don't you ask them? Because their internal documents all say that they knew it. And as far as the, 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 Arctic, the Arctic Reserve, they took away permits that weren't even being used by these guys. Because most of these oil companies realize that there's no future in that business. There's no future for the world. By the time they extracted that oil and got it into the pipeline that exists there, it would be 15 years from now. And God willing, by that time, we will have dramatically reduced the amount of oil we use. Because if we hadn't, our existence on this planet is going to be in danger. Why do people, like, Andrew and Stanhope so much, like, he sits by the phone, he says, I'm at a loss for words. Apparently not. I wish he was. I'm at a loss for words. I just have to call up on a, on a Saturday afternoon and stand up for ExxonMobil because they really need me. They've only made $15 billion this quarter. By the way, we're energy independent under Obama. And it's purely a function of, like, this disputes that OPEC is having amongst themselves so they'll let them to pump too much or where, you know, where the energy is going in the world. If we're going to survive as a people, it's going to be because we start acting more energy efficiently. Our parents, he's talking about Jordan, talking about Jordan and his parents. His, Andrew's father and mother, God willing, told them you should conserve. You should conserve if you can. Wastefulness is a sin. We should conserve energy if we can. And it certainly means that when you stand up and you defend ExxonMobil, I want to hear you say, I also stand up and defend the Saudis who sent 15 homicide bombers here to the United States on September 11, 2001, that took from us over 2,800 of our neighbors and 343 firefighters. That's where your, that's where your money's going. That's where you're going, to support the Saudis. How does that feel? If we can come up with a better way, and you know who can? Donald Trump is like, oh, we're going to, we can't stand up to the Chinese. I'm too scared of the Chinese. No, if we're making it in the United States, we're making it better than the Chinese. Our cars always are. I believe in the free market. Yeah, the free market obviously believes that electric cars are of the future. And what are our policies around that? We're offering incentive. We're offering loans to companies that want to build um, infrastructure for for electric vehicles. We're offering loans for companies that want to improve their plants. We're offering tax incentives to buy American cars and trucks. And what's Donald Trump's idea? Let's put on a twenty percent tariff on everything that comes in from China. Okay, there. You do, you're, don't tell me you're against inflation when he wants a 20% increase on everything that comes in from China. Mr. Mr. I mean, honestly. 
people calling up a radio station on a rainy Saturday afternoon because ExxonMobil needs more of your money. Seriously. Let's change subjects and go to Carol in New Hyde Park. Hey, Carol. Hi, good afternoon, Mr. Weiner. I just want to say something that you failed to mention in your first hour when you said that uh, Biden is going to the UAW. He's only doing it, they're saying, every minute on the radio that Trump said it first. He's going the day before or a couple of days before Trump. Good. Secondly, secondly, you always say the immigrants are here legally. Congressman Peter King and Rudy Giuliani and everybody else said they are here illegal. They're wrong. They're wrong. You're better than, you know more than Peter King. Mm, Yes, I definitely know more than Peter King. I mean, that's like being the tallest pygmy. But yeah, I mean, I I definitely know, know more than Peter King. All I haven't said every single migrant that's here is here legally. I've said that the ones that are coming through our system and applying for um, for asylum are doing so legally. Once they do that, once they anyone who is on United States soil, thank you, Carol. Call us again. Anyone who's on United States soil can apply for asylum. That's the law. The law that Peter King, Anthony Weiner. It was the true when we were there in Congress. We were there at the same time. He was the chair of the Homeland um, Homeland Security uh, the Homeland Sec- what is it? Homeland Security Committee what's it called Yeah Homeland Security Committee If he wanted to change that law he had plenty of time to do it it was in place at the time The people who are applying for asylum and that is everyone in the system someone who's who is violating the law is not showing up and presenting themselves to a border officer and saying, I'm here at asylum and getting paperwork to return for a hearing. So yeah, overwhelmingly the people that are, that are coming not all of them are, and I noticed that all of them are. So the ones that we've been talking about that Curtis is protesting about, those people are here legally and lawfully. Um, next, let's go to Bob in Connecticut. Hey, Bob, welcome aboard. You still with us, Bob? Let's go then. I appreciate it. Let's go to um, Sal in Manhattan. Go ahead, Sal. Are you with us, Sal? All right, Sal, call us back. We're having trouble with the line. It might be our board at this point. How about Mary in Staten Island? We'll try that one more time. Hey, Mary. All right. It's more of me. That's, that's, the, that's not the best part of the show. The best part is the call. We're having a little trouble with our board right now. If you guys are, are holding on, I recommend maybe hanging up and dialing back in, and Christian will try to, try to get you back up. Look, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to minimize the idea that um, immigration is a tough issue. I just think we have to be honest about it. And I've said this before, and people, for political reasons, they're calling them the illegals, they're calling them the illegals, they're calling them the illegals. They know better. D'Amato probably knows better. Peter King definitely knows better. Curtis Lewa knows better because I've told him. And it's, it's you know, it, which is not to say it's not a problem and not to say that the laws might not need some fixing. By the way, we're going to talk about the budget next week because we'll probably be at – the government will probably be closed down. One of the things that the Republicans in the House want to do is do a whole bunch of provisions on immigration. And you ask your next time a congressman is on the air, you call in or I'll ask him for you. Are they doing anything to add money so they can have more of these um, asylum hearings faster to get people out faster? 
And they're going to say, no, we're slashing the budget for that stuff. These are tough issues, but for sure, the, the people that are in our in our um, in our shelters that are costing us money right now that are um, that are ultimately many of them are not going to be permitted to stay. Although the TPS thing does change it some, these people are here lawfully. And we'll be back for one more segment after the break and taking the top of the hour for left versus right. So great to have you along on this rainy Saturday. I'm Anthony Weiner, and this is The Middle. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Sister with Breakout. Here to the top of the hour. Left versus right. Curtis Leo is coming in. We've got a lot of ground to cover with him. Some of the latest with his nemesis, the mayor. More on the migrant crisis. Also going to talk to him about what he thinks about the Fetterman controversy. You know, if if you're upset about Fetterman, maybe you're also upset about Curtis Leo wearing his red beret. Let's go to a few more calls before we wrap up at the top of the hour. How about Gene in Brooklyn? Hey, Gene, welcome aboard. Hey, Mr. Weiner, how are you? I'm good. I got three fast questions. Go ahead. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's go. Number one, what's your way of solving the problem with the gas? Shouldn't we drill ourselves instead of depend upon anyone else? No, we should not be drilling. We should be keeping fossil fuels in the ground, and we should be transitioning to— All right, next. Okay, so That's you're one. saying we should we should buy we should buy all our fuel from our enemies. We should we should drive down prices by driving down demand by switching to alternatives. Next. Okay, number three. You're saying illegal immigrants, so you're okay with the border being open the way it is? The border is not open. These are the same laws that are in place under Trump. Right. I cut the conversation. You're right. You're a typical Democrat. I don't know what they. I mean, look. I, I've made this point before, and Gene hung up, but maybe Gene somehow heard about the big Trump um, uh, uh, immigration reform bill of 2017 and 18. I must have missed it. People think there's a door there, and someone opens the door. No, there's mass migration. And by the way, 2019, before Trump, before Biden was even the big caravans, actually, were, were a lot of months were higher than it is today. You remember they were locking them up and they had to stop doing that because they weren't allowed to because that's not the law? 
This is a real problem. We got to fix these, but you need adults to fix it, and we don't have any on the Republican side. I'm sorry, we just don't. Not everything is is both sidesism. I have done episode after episode, and I'll do it again. I can probably even do it before we break at four o'clock. We need to increase security at the border, even building barriers and walls and fences, whatever. That's fine. Have more people at the bo- more security at the border. We have to upgrade, up update our immigration laws. We have to invest in having hearing officers right at the border, enough that that can process these people as soon as they come in. We have to figure out what to do with the 13 or 14 million people that are here without documentation but are living, following all the rules, paying taxes. We don't want to give them amnesty, make them pay a fine, but put them at the end of the line, give them work work documentation. Let them come and go from the country if they want, if they're here for temporary work. We then, since those people are going to be processed, then we have fewer of the the people who are doing harm to us, the terrorists, the drug dealers. They're going to be easier to catch now since they're – they, we don't have, they're not going to be able to mix in with all the other people who are undocumented. We have to incentivize people to come in with, the, with the, the skills that we need to grow our economy. We need to come up with te- temporary worker programs for agriculture sectors and things like that that really can help drive our economy. These are laws. These are laws that have to be every 20 years or so we update our immigration laws. And now what do you hear the Republicans in Congress saying? What do you hear the candidates for president saying? Shoot them on sight. You know, lock the border. There's not a door. If you want to be involved in this conversation and you want to put on and you want to be given a a job like a member of Congress or a president, you got to put on your big boy pants and come up with ideas and then sit down and work on them with people who might not agree with you. That's called lawmaking. And we did it in our country for generations. Every so often we update our immigration laws. People are like, why can't it be like it used to be? It, believe me, the laws have been changed a few times, but some of them haven't. This law around asylum hasn't been changed, I think, since the 50s or 60s. You got to update them. Close the border, open the border. They gotta, I mean, I heard um, Al D'Amato on the radio that closed the border. He's a former United States senator. Come on, pal. Come on. Close the border. Exactly, do you do that? I mean, these are tough issues. I just think there's so much demagoguery going on, it's just out of control. And so every week for a couple hours, and then on Wednesday for my podcast, I get a chance to just kind of talk about the tough facts of these situations. And then at four o'clock, Curtis Lewa comes in, he gives me he gives his side, I give my side. We usually agree on more stuff than not. He's actually a Democrat. He says, I'm actually a Republican. Neither one of us might be electable. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, he's coming in at 4 o'clock. It's really been great having you all along. It was a little bit feisty today. Maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's I'm getting ready for the start of hockey season. But I really am grateful for the time you're spending with me. If you missed any of this, it'll be available as a podcast as soon as Kevin and the team gets it uploaded. Come back again next week at the top of the hour. Like I said, it's left versus right with me and the Federal. 
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.